prayer. It's always a challenge for us as believers in Christ. Yet here in the Old Testament are some marvelous examples of prayer. Examples we'll focus on over the next few weeks here on this edition of Graceful Truth. We begin with an introductory look at Old Testament examples of prayer. Join us. From Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, this is Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Hello and welcome to the broadcast. As mentioned, we're beginning a series taking a look at some of the Old Testament examples of prayer here today. We're going to look at the purpose of prayer, and it's a great acronym, ACTS. Just exactly what that acronym means is the subject of our time together today. Join us. Here's Pastor Steve Converse with this edition of Graceful Truth. This morning, as we look at uh, the message, the man who bargained with God, uh, the topic, obviously, is prayer. And we're going to be looking at several Old Testament individuals. I saw this this morning in the, uh, uh, the San Jose Mercury News. It was on the uh, lifestyle section. The title is, Family Ritual Brings Comfort. And it talks about this historic barrio in downtown Tucson known as El Toradito. And it's known as the Wishing Shrine. And it goes on and it talks about how their mother was suffering with cancer. And, and uh, ever since they've been visiting this shrine, paying homage to this shrine, that they have found comfort in that. That they have uh, somehow felt that God's presence was there in that place. The article goes on. And, and as I was reading that, I thought, how... How sad is that, that you have to visit a place or you have to go to a certain uh, locality to think that somehow God is, is more there than with you. As we go through these lessons on prayer, this is just as much, if not more so for me, <laughs> than it is for you. Because uh, if there's one area in the spiritual disciplines that I struggle in sometimes, it's, it's simply prayer. You would think that, oh, you must pray all the time, and that's, you know, that life gets crowded and your schedule gets busy, and then pretty soon you, you find yourself doing other things other than beseeching the Lord, and um, a lot of that is just not acceptable. <laughs> and so I, I want to encourage our hearts the next couple of weeks as we look to the subject of prayer. Uh, they took a survey one time, and they, they asked this question, what do you think the most important purpose of prayer is? Someone asked you, why do you pray? What's the purpose in prayer? Here's what the responses were. 27% said to seek God's guidance. 23% said to thank God. 19% said to be close to God or the divine. 13% said to help others. 9% said to improve a person's life. 4% said other, I don't know what that is, and 5% had no clue. And you stop and you think of those statistics, and these weren't necessarily Christian people, but I think that sometimes I ask the question, why do people pray so little in the church and for the church and for the work of the church? If there's one meeting in any church that's the least attended meeting, generally it's the prayer meeting. We have one here every Sunday morning at 9.30. We pray specifically for this service. We pray that God would work somehow through this. They have a monthly prayer meeting the women do, I think, on Thursdays. We pray here as a worship team before 
we begin to rehearse this in the mornings around 9. We pray on Wednesday nights for each other after our study. But a lot of times when you look at the church calendar, the prayer meeting usually is the least attended. And I, and I wonder why people in the church pray so little for the church, because there's a lot to pray for. Would you agree? I mean, we're looking at the work of God, not only here in Redwood City through the ministries of our church, but also around the world. You think of the different missionaries we support in their work. You think of the different family members that you know who have yet to come to know the Lord. You think of neighbors and friends and relatives, all this. There's so much stuff that we could pray for. The radio ministry, I mean, just continual uh, list. You could just have a continual list of things to pray for. And yet sometimes I feel that we don't pray enough within the church for the ministries of our church. Some people answer that question and they say, well, maybe we need to have a, a prayer summit or a prayer seminar or we need to teach more about prayer or uh, all those things. You know, that, they, they may be good choices and, and those things may help somewhat. But I think that it has to do with more just the will not to pray. A lack of maybe commitment. I mean, a lot of people get excited about a lot of things, but I don't see a lot of people getting excited about prayer. The idea that somehow you can intercede with the God who created you and have an impact. And I think the reason that we don't see that commitment to that kind of ministry is simply, I'll be honest, we we don't believe our prayers will make a difference. We just don't believe it'll make a difference. And when you stop and you think, well, why? (laughs) Why would you say that? Because I think sometimes we perceive prayer as a way to uh, change, you might say, our circumstances, change what's going on in our life, change our finances, change our marriage, change our relationship with our kids, change our kids, change our neighbors, change our job situation, whatever it might be. And so when we want something to change, well, then we got to go to prayer. When really, I think we should be looking at prayer as a way to change ourselves. That's really the perspective that we should have. Prayer is not for the purpose of changing our circumstances, not that it doesn't, but I think more of the purpose of prayer is that we need to be changed how we relate to our circumstances. And that's so true. When we come into God's presence in worship and we begin to pray and, and we ask for God's will to be done and we ask for all these things, somehow we are brought into conformity to his person. That's what should happen. And when that happens, it seems like our circumstances will become different because we will be bringing different attitudes to them because we're interceding with the God of the universe. Now, I do believe that God changes circumstances. I do believe that. I do believe that prayer can change things. Um, I prayed for people to become saved, and some of those prayers have been answered. I know some of you have prayed for family members for years and all of a sudden they come to know the Lord. Don't think for a moment that your prayers don't have an impact on that. See, we have to be careful with our theology sometimes. Do we believe that God sovereignly chooses who becomes saved? Absolutely. That's what his word teaches without a doubt. Just read Ephesians 1. But you have to believe that God also chooses the methods that will be used to lead that person to salvation. One of those methods is prayer. One of those methods is evangelism. See, we can't get so caught up in the sovereignty of God that somehow we think what we do doesn't make any difference. That's very dangerous. 
That's called fatalism. That's not found in the Bible. Well, God chose everybody. He knows how it's all going to work out. You know, why pray? Why do anything? See, sometimes God allows us to become part of his methods. And that's when he wants to use us. James, James 5.16, look at that with me. James 5.16, probably don't even have to look over there, but you can because I think when you perceive it in your mind with the words written on the page, it's good. 5 verse 16, whole subject to this matter here is talking about prayer. Is anyone suffering, anyone dealing with things? Let them, let them pray. It comes all the way down to verse 16. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. That's not an option. That's not a suggestion. That's a command that you may be healed. And then it says this, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. We know that verse, an effectual fervent prayer, that's the ESV. A lot of us have memorized it. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth what? Much. See, lack of persistence in prayer will lead you to kind of just grow complacent. To think, oh well, why pray for anything when things are wrong? I think we've lost a lot of our passion when it comes to praying, when it comes to interceding. I think we've lost a lot of our anger. I don't know about you, but I get angry sometimes when things don't work out necessarily the way that I would desire. And it drives me to my knees even more. Found out this woman was missing. We're praying, praying. (laughs) Boy, just let her be lost, let whatever. Well, the worst possible scenario plays out. So what do you do with that? How do you justify praying, boy, God, deliver this woman, and all of a sudden she ends up dead in a river somewhere? Two little children, orphaned. That makes me angry. But for one second, I don't think that our, the prayers are ineffective. We've lost that kind of passion. We've lost that desire to really... There's an evangelist named William Beterwolf, and he used to say this, we don't storm the throne of God as we used to. See, God loves heroic faith. God loves someone to come into his presence and and pray for something beyond what seems reasonable. Our prayers are really to rebel against what's going on in the world. And there's a lot of examples that, that prayer actually works. I mean, all you have to do is look through Scripture. Prayer can make a difference. Prayer, prayer can be effective. Think of Abraham. His servant prayed for a wife, for Isaac, Rebecca appeared. Jacob wrestled. He prayed. He prevailed with the angel of the Lord. And afterwards, Esau's mind was turned around from 20 years of revenge. Joshua prayed about Israel's defeat in battle at Ai. Achan's sin was discovered. Hannah prayed and Samuel was born. You can go on and on. The idea is that prayer works, beloved. We have to remind ourselves. We have to believe that. When we pray for the lost of Redwood City, do we really believe that God is going to work? and bring us into contact with those who have yet to know Christ so that we can share the gospel with them and see them gloriously saved. We don't do the saving. We're just the the errand boy. We're just the, the, the waiter. We bring the meal to the table. But are we praying that God would prepare their hearts when they hear that gospel message? Are we praying that each each Sunday at 3.30 when the teaching of the Word of God goes out across the Bay Area, 55-some thousand listeners. Are we praying fervently that somehow God would, would touch people's hearts through the teaching of his word? Or have we kind of forgotten about it? It's easy to forget about. I try to listen to our program every week, not because I like to hear myself teach. It's, it's 
<laughs> it's, it's like nails on a chalkboard to me. But while that's going on, I'm praying. That's the only reason I do that. I just pray. Pray that somehow God would draw people's hearts to Christ. And God's word specifically states that prayer is effective. We just read it in James 5.16. And we need to be reminded as we go through this series on prayer that, that prayer is one of the methods that God uses us in his complete sovereign control to carry out his will. See, if we forget that, somehow we're just kind of left out of the loop. I don't believe that God is some, some guy up in heaven that just orchestrates everything and, and sets us in the stands and says, now you just watch while I do what I do. That's not the God we serve. He doesn't call us to be spectators in our Christian faith, ever. He always calls us to get down on the field, to roll up our sleeves, and to get a little dirty for Christ. That's what he's called us to do. Why would you do that if you thought, well, who cares? God's going to work everything out. Is God sovereign? Completely. Is he all-powerful? Completely. You can't argue with that. And that gives us this dilemma, doesn't it? God answers prayer specifically and directly. Are you saying God won't do what he wants to do anyway if we don't pray? I mean, some people have gone so far down that road, beloved, that they even question the validity of prayer. It's kind of a fatalistic attitude. God's got it all worked out. So, I mean, what's the use of praying? We're not going to change his mind. He's going to do what he wants to do. He's God. He's sovereign. Brings the question, does God ever change his mind? Does prayer help make God do something other than what he had planned to do? These are hard questions. If we are persistent enough, will God let us have our way and override his own will? It's another question people ask. Does the Lord have to answer our prayers at all? Or is it just a frivolous exercise we go through? The questions, basically, about the relationship between prayer and God's will can be summed up in two questions. If God is sovereign, why pray? If God is sovereign, why pray? And if prayer is commanded, then how can God be sovereign? You say, well, are you going to give us the answers? (laughs) I believe there are answers to those questions. I really do. Unfortunately, I don't know what they are. (laughs) I'll just be honest with you. I have the slightest idea. I believe that prayer as it relates to God's will, is one of the the greatest kind of paradoxes in Scripture. It's a tension. God's mind is infinite compared to our minds. And that paradox poses an impossible dilemma for us in our logic. And I think it just shows that God and His majesty and His infinite knowledge, it demonstrates how far below that we are. His ways are not our ways. The secret things belong to the Lord. You could go on and on and on. I don't know how God uses prayer in relationship to his sovereign will. I don't understand that. And I never will. Until maybe one day I'm in glory and I see him face to face. But I think it's important that we kind of have an idea of what prayer is for. And you've heard this before. And this is just in way of introduction to our, our thing here um, this morning. But... When you talk about the purpose of prayer, why should we pray? You've heard the little acronym ACTS, right? Adoration. You start with adoration. You express, you express adoration to God. I mean, he's certainly worthy of our prayer, of our praise and of our prayers. 
Uh, we can praise God in song. We can praise God just in, in poetry. We can praise God in a myriad of different ways. We can praise God just talking to him. And over and over, we see examples of adoration and prayer. Ephesians three fourteen to 21. This is where Paul prayed for the Ephesians and he took time to praise God. That's what we should do. First thing is just have that, that heart of adoration. Secondly, confession. The idea that we should confess our sins. I mean, the, the neat thing with God is that there is mercy to be found in confessing one's sin. We looked at this a little bit last Wednesday night when Keith was doing a, a study. We talked about uh, we were talking about 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we pointed out that, you know what, sometimes in the original language, that word if can even be translated since. See, it's not a condition. It's not a question of whether when you come to Christ and you've had your sins forgiven and you fall into sin again somehow. You do something that's dishonoring to the Lord. The idea is not whether or not you would go back and confess that to God. If you understand your position in Christ, you would run back to the throne of God to tell him, hey, I am wrong. I confess this to you. Because you realize that there's not condemnation in Christ. There's just more forgiveness. There's more grace. And so it's really a a way of, of encouraging us to do just that, confessing our sins, saying the same thing God says about our sins. See, when we're in sin and we're not confessing it, we're basically saying, God, I don't care what you say about this sin, whether it's lying, whether it's gossiping, whether it's looking at something that's not honoring to the Lord, whether it's listening to something that's not honoring to the Lord, whatever it might be. When we continue in that behavior and say, ah, you know what, I'm not hurting anybody, just leave me alone. What are we doing? We're not saying the same thing that God says about that sin, whatever it might be. If he says it's dishonorable, if he calls sin, sin, that's what it is. See, and we live in a society today that refuses to call sin, sin. When you deal with the sin of homosexuality, it's not called a sin. What's it called? A different lifestyle. There's nothing wrong with it. That's the way they were born, they say. Which is totally outside of the bounds of Scripture. It's just plain wrong. And I think what we need to understand is that when God created us in the beginning, there's no way he could have created somebody, as some of the, the scientists say, with some missing chromosome or whatever, and, and causes them to be more, you know, feminine. God created them that way. No, if God created them that way, then we serve a God who made a mistake. Because if he created everybody that way, we wouldn't be here. Hello? I mean, it's, it's male and female, right? I mean, that's how we're here. With that being said, we need to reach out to that community and we need to share with them the gospel and the true love that comes through Christ. They need to hear the gospel message. That's the only thing that will transform their heart. We can't talk them into a Christianity. We can't talk them into a different lifestyle. Taking them to counseling is not... It, it, God has to do a work in their hearts, beloved. Take the blinders off. Transform their heart. Give them a new heart, a new mind, new desires. Gloriously save them from the depravity of their sin. When you look at that, that one sin in and of itself, it seems like it kind of jumps out at us and it 
because of the society in which we live in and because of all the, the political stuff that's going on right now, it's almost like that, that one sin is, is highlighted in some way. And yet, in Scripture, when we read lists of sins, usually it's thrown in there among the mixed of sins. It's not in bold print. It's not underlined. Why? Because it's a sin, like any other sin. It may have more devastating effects in a lot of ways, but that's basically what it is. So let's just call it what it is. And so this idea of adoration, then confession, confessing sins to God, saying the same thing. And then T is thanksgiving, offering thanksgiving, being thankful. Over and over throughout Scripture, we're told that we should have thankful hearts before God. And we're not going to go into all the examples that were given, but the last thing there in that little ACTS acronym is supplication. We encourage all to let our requests be made known unto God. Philippians 4, 6 says, Jesus even himself made supplication as he was crucified. Stephen also when he was being stoned. So the idea of the purpose of prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, all those things can be summarized for the purpose of prayer. Why do we pray? Because we're commanded to pray. How does it work within the sovereignty of God? I have no clue. One thing that's neat when you go to a foreign country, my nephew and I, when I was in college down in San Diego, we used to go to Tijuana almost every other weekend. You know, you get cheap lobster to eat, cheap food. And uh, we'd go down there. And I learned really quick that when you're walking around the streets of Tijuana, you could actually, you know, if a, if a uh, uh, jacket or a pair of shoes said 20 bucks, you, you don't pay the 20 bucks, right? I mean, you barter with the guy. And some people don't realize this, but if the shop door is open, then they barter. If the shop door is closed... Don't try to barter with them because they're not open to bartering at all. But if the shop door is open or if it's out in the, the, uh, the, the, the festival there, the, the, the street salesman and all that, you can barter with them. You can, you, know, you can get them down from $20 to $5 sometimes. But it's kind of a skill. I mean, I didn't know that at first. Went down there with somebody that was familiar with that and went to buy one of those poncho things or whatever. And, you know, how much is this? Oh, $15. Oh, okay. You know, my friend's like, what are you doing? You don't, you don't pay full price down here. Well, what do you mean? And he showed me how you barter back and forth. I mean, your heart kind of breaks because it's like these poor people. And you're thinking, well, but that's part of the deal, I guess. But you know what? What's interesting is you don't think of bartering with God. I mean, when you go down to Mexico or maybe you're, you're haggling over the price of a used car, something like that, you understand that, you know what, he has something you want, the merchandise, and you have something he wants, the money. And so you can kind of haggle about it, work back and forth. But when you stop in it, think about when it comes to God, he has everything. <laughs> he owns everything. So how could you imagine bargaining with the God of the universe. Well, that's what I want to look at with you this morning. Because the first instance of, of intercessory prayer that's found in the Bible shows Abraham who's bargaining with God. Back in Genesis 18. Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. 
and we trust you're currently involved in a Bible-teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.